<laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Did I tell you Mondays suck? I was not kidding. It's 7.03 on the West Coast, 10.03 on the East Coast of America, 3.03 in London, Kyoto, Japan, 11.03, and here in Malaysia, it is 19.82. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Uh, I'm so late tonight. I am a stickler for being on time for meetings, work, anything, whatever it is, a hot date, doesn't matter. I am there, usually early. I tried, I'm still trying, in fact, to get Rumble to work. I tested the live stream last night, and it was live, and I was live, and it worked, and everything was fine, and all was right with the world. And then tonight, I try and go live, and sure as hell, it's, I don't think it's working. Rumble.com slash Jay Sheldon. Not Jay Sheldon, no pants. Jay Sheldon, my main channel. I am supposed to be there right now live. I don't think I am. I cannot see me. There's a link, but it ain't working. So I will once again take this up with the people at Rumble and I will figure it out because I'm paying for this. I want the damn thing to work. Mondays suck. <laughs> Honest to God, I, I don't know. I just basically I give up. I'm going to stick with my old dedicated folks here on Facebook Live. YouTube, J. Sheldon Malaysia, and Twitch.tv, J. Sheldon No Pants. Welcome to my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been one of those days. Zane! Hello! Zane Hashim. Welcome into the stream, Zane. Good to see you. It has been like a billion years. You owe me a coffee, by the way. I'll, I'll have this one on you. If you would like, go to twitch.tv, not just Zane, but everybody watching, and check out our merchandise page. You'll find it under the about, I think. Search around on twitch.tv slash jsheldonnopants. And you'll find a Miko mug. That's Miko. That's our show logo. Nice big coffee mug. And uh, T-shirts, mouse pads, stickers, all kinds of crap over there. It's really cool. You can check it out. And uh, Zane says, anytime for coffee. I will take you up on that. <laughs> all right. Uh, speaking, yes, speaking of Miko, it's time. Miko update. Miko update. She is doing very well. And as a matter of fact, well, okay, I'm not going to edit this. Let's just shove it over to the side. There you go. Uh, this is a Miko mug. No, <laughs> this is not the one available for sale on J. Sheldon No Pants Twitch.tv, our Miko merch. This is a mug that I bought. Uh, it was damned expensive. I mean, 
in ringgit, it was expensive. If you're buying it in USD, it's like almost free. But, you know, because the conversion rate is crazy. But this is the, I call it the Miko mug. It's got a little, at the other end, the spoon end, it's got a, uh, a little paw, a little Shiba Inu paw. And this is actually 3D. Uh, let me, here, I'll blow it up so you can see it a little better. There you go. This is actually 3D. Uh, it sticks out from a hole in the mug, kind of carved into the mug there. And it is adorable. It is as adorable as it looks. Uh, it only comes as far as I've been able to find in a Shiba Inu uh, variety, but that's okay because that's what she is. She's doing fine. Her little foot infection is getting better. Uh, we found a way to trick her with some treats and get her to put the uh, antibiotic ointment on her paw. So she's recovering quite well from that. Had a nice long walk tonight, doing very well. And uh, at the moment, as I mentioned, almost every stream we do a Miko update, she's laying in on the bed straight under the air conditioning. Oh my, in our thumbnail tonight, we talked about, uh, we talked about how we were going to be talking about 80s hair, and we will, but I had a discussion uh, just before I went on the show tonight with somebody who dyed their hair blonde, very blonde, and uh, I had mentioned that I had done that when I was in my 20s, which was like, you know, four and a half thousand years ago. Um, and it is a painful process. I had no idea because, I mean, if you've dyed your hair, you know this. It's, you know, old news. I didn't know it at the time that when you dye your hair, at least when you want to go lighter or another color, um, they have to take the color of your hair out. And then once all that color's out, they put the new color in. And it's not the new color that's the painful part. It's the taking the color of your hair out. It burns like hell. It's painful. And the funny thing was is that I told you uh, I had carrot red hair when I was a youngster. I mean, it's gone brown and gray and white and all that crap now. But as a teenager, my hair was bright red and then turned to auburn and then brown over the years. But anyway, when they took the color out of my hair to make me blonde in my 20s, what was left, I called it like Donald Duck orange because it looked like the, the beak on Donald Duck. It was, it was, yeah, it was that bad. <coughs> Excuse me. It literally, it, it, looked, it was more orange than my shirt. It was horrible. And then eventually they put the blonde color in. It never went pure white blonde. I would love to do pure white. But I think now at my age, it would just look like even more of an old man. I mean, you know, if I were 20 years younger, I could probably get away with it and be like, oh, look at the cool dude with white hair. Now it's like, oh, look at the very old man. So anyway. I think we'll avoid the white hair for, for now, probably forever. Um, okay, let's see. I'm still checking on Rumble because I still have faith somehow that it's working, but I'm almost sure that it's not. 
let's move over to what we were going to talk about tonight. You might want to sit down. If you're not sit- sitting already or laying down already, you might want to sit. Don't say I didn't warn you. Oh, my God. This is... <laughs> Uh, if you are listening on the podcast, I'm sorry. Go to rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants and watch the video version of our show. I don't care that you watch the whole show. Just move ahead to about 13, 14 minutes in and check out the visual. Because you have to... This is unbelievable. Well, I can believe it because I lived it. The My era really, as far as music goes and things, was was really probably the 70s. That's when I was a teenager, a young adult. Um, but the 80s I identify with a lot. I owned a pair of parachute pants, okay? Yes. If you don't know what parachute pants are, they were made out of material very much like a parachute. And they had all these weird zippers and pockets everywhere. I used to love parachute pants. And I owned a red pair and a black pair. Yeah, two colors. But anyway, this actually was the fashion, these pictures you're looking at here. I can't sadly make it much bigger, but you have to wonder how much work went into getting your hair to be like this. I mean, these are female, obviously, pictures, but look at this one. I've got my mouse up on the screen now. Look at this. This is like she stuck her finger in a socket. And look at the height of this one. This is like twice the size of her head. Unbel- oh, look at that. Check that one out. Now, that's okay. This is pretty normal. Here's another sort of John Bon Jovi 80s. God knows what the... And this one. This looks like it, it used to be like that, but it fell down. I can't, I can't, it's just, man, I'm telling you. But this was, these look like high school yearbook pictures, actually. Look at that. Look at the amount of hair. Can you imagine the daily routine it took to get your hair like that? That is insane. The 80s was quite an era, and... Let's all hope and pray that they never, ever, ever come back. Okay? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, the 80s. Although it did produce a lot of good music. Dance. Rock. The 80s. 70s. Can't beat the 70s. But the 80s. Unbelievable. All right. Big hair. Ah. What a mistake. And speaking of mistakes, do you like how I kind of stretch to get a segue there? Yeah, that's what that was. That was a, a big stretch for a segue. Speaking of mistakes, I found this. It's a rather odd-looking site. It's um, visualchase.com. And... Again, it's got a lot of pop-up ads and things on it, but this is actually a really, really cool article. And it's uh, from visualchase.com. It's called... Wait a minute. We don't want that. Shut that off. All right. It's called Incredibly Unlucky People Who Broke Some Very 
expensive objects. And just the two headline pictures alone should be enough to show you that, uh, let me just do a little adjusting here. Here we go. That's some sort of rather expensive looking yacht that's half sunk, but of course they're striking a pose. And that looks like a very expensive house that someone has put a crane through the center of. Believe me, it gets worse. Hannah Montana, you remember her speaking of the 80s? Was she the 80s or the 90s? I think she was the 90s, maybe even the 2000s. Anyway, she once said, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. Nobody's perfect. Mistakes, lessons, everyone has to learn, but some can be very costly. There's a group that shares the most expensive items people have broken from $5 million medical machines to entire fleets of fighter jets. And that's got to be a price tag in, probably in the billions. If your parents are still trying to make you feel bad about that thing you broke when you were a baby, share this article with them and you won't feel, they won't feel so bad. Um, how do you tell your boss you broke a $290 million satellite? <laughs> no matter how big of a mistake you make, remember, you never have to tell your boss that you broke a NOAA N prime satellite before it ever left the shop floor. Ouch. Look at that. Damn. That's, yeah, that's got to hurt. The two men in the back thinking, how can we fix this before somebody notices? <laughs> oh man uh were they trying to uh, simulate cloudy flying conditions or did they release fire suppression foam in this army airplane hangar fire suppression foam canisters exploded and the room filled up with foam oh look at this and it's a corrosive substance with a very high risk for potential damage to the planes. Look at that. It's entire. There's another plane. Let me get my mouse back. See this over here in the background? There's a plane here and a plane here, completely buried in this. It also sucks all the oxygen out of the room when this fire suppression foam goes in. Oh, man. That's got to suck. Uh, when you park on top of the hidden garage, you'd think there'd be a safety measure installed so the garage wouldn't raise if an object were on top of it. But that's not the case. This is one of those hidden garages. Obviously, this person has a lot of cash. So he's got a device that pops up and you can park one car underground then that lowers and you can park another one but obviously the whatever safety gear there was or wasn't didn't function ouch that's gonna hurt wow not only the jeep crushed but the car in the garage was flooded <laughs> oh man it, the lift malfunctioned because of the flooding caused it to raise with the vehicle on top and that's gonna hurt wow okay let's get rid of the ads uh, when you want your insurance adjuster to pay more attention to your claim, put two girls in bikinis on the sinking boat. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I don't even want to see this one. Where's the one with the... Okay, what happened here? 
We doubt duct tape or superglue will fix this problem. The cranes split the roof in half. This happened in Florida. Yeah, somebody is definitely looking for work after this. <laughs> Man. Uh, here's a good reason not to park on the beach. Because, you know, tides, they tend to come in. Unbelievable. Ouch. Somebody drilling and went through a bunch of wires. Man. The server tipped over, and all we can say is, rest in pieces. Imagine how expensive these things would be. Oh, man, look at that. That's got to suck. Houston, we have a problem. A technician accidentally fired a Vulcan cannon and wrecked this F-16 sitting on the runway. Luckily, nobody was inside, but look at this thing. Dang, that's what a Vulcan cannon will do. Somebody, again, be out looking for work. Okay, there's a nice crunch. That's got to hurt. There was one about a... Uh... Oh, man, look at that. Now, that's not somebody's mistake, although they probably shouldn't have built the road there. Where's the wine bottle one? <laughs> oh, that's why you're supposed to support the, the, yeah, you probably shouldn't have had the tires in the back. Again, if you're listening to the podcast, sorry, check out the video on rumble.com. Um, and we've had a few of these from some yokels who have been speeding too fast on the highways in their expensive cars lately. Austin Martin used to be worth $1.5 Now, not so much. Dang. Ah, uh, here we go. When you break a $16,000 bottle of wine on your first day at work, this person was having a terrible day. They shattered a 1945 Chateau Mouton Rothschild bottle of wine, which was priced at 16000 USD. Would not want to be the... Oh, man. A 1945 Chateau Mouton Rothschild. 16000 bucks shattered. Look at that. Oh, man. That would make me want to cry. Unbelievable. Ouch. Anyway, head over to visualchase.com. A tip of the hat to them for sharing. That's... Wow. Those are expensive mistakes. All right. Just got a couple more uh, awe, how cute kind of things to share with you tonight. By the way, if you're a first-time viewer or listener to the show, that's basically what we do here. Um, we sit around and chat about the weird, crazy stuff I find on the Internet and make some comments. Occasionally, we get a little political, some heartwarming things, some encouragement. But uh, basically, I sit around not wearing pants and talk about whatever I happen to find on the net in between streams. Check this one out. Look at this cat. How adorable is that? Look at that. This isn't, they didn't dye the cat. The cat actually is this color. And it is amazing, like a white tiger. That is incredible. Let's see if I can blow up the shots. Yeah, there we go. Check this out. It does look like it's been put on with a magic marker, but according to this, not. It's from a site called Cats Make Me Happy. This is beautiful. Look at that. 
absolutely amazing. Again, if you're on the podcast, sorry it's a visual, but this cat, you got to see it. Check it out. You can forward through to the show to go about 24, 25 minutes in and check out this amazing cat. This is absolutely, and look at that. That's incredible. Beautiful. Maybe I should do that with Miko. Or dire fur? No, I don't think so. Okay, a couple of little bits here before we get on to our book tonight. Um, just some quick, short, but meaningful sayings that uh, I found and I liked. This one from my second cousin, Mr. Charlie Chaplin. Or should I say, Sir Charlie Chaplin. You need power only when you want to do something harmful. Otherwise, love is enough to get everything done. How about that? And let's see, why can't I get this to work? Let me try one more thing, and then we'll see if that, there we go. Okay. Those are words, by the way, from Charlie Chaplin. Love them. Here's one, especially these days with everybody arguing and complaining about mandates and things like that. I don't know who said this, but I love the quote. Everyone loves the honest person until the honest person strikes a chord with the truth they weren't ready to receive. Ouch. But damn true. All right. And finally, speaking of pandemics and viruses, there are other things going on in the world, lest you forget. And I hope that you would take a moment to remember that there are people suffering far worse than pandemics that we're all dealing with at the moment. The next time you're locked down and you complain or you have to put a mask on your face or face diaper on and and things. Remember that there are people suffering from the hunger virus too. The hunger virus kills about 8,000 children a day. And the vaccine for it exists. It's called food. But you won't hear that in the media now, will you? Because hunger doesn't kill the rich. Remember that. Wow. Powerful, powerful stuff. Okay. <clears throat> I think we've, I think we've got about as depressed and deep down as we can get. Uh, let's lighten up things around here a little bit and move on as we do into our uh, before we do that, I want to remind you, if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash jsheldon, sign up for a very small little donation every month. It's a monthly charge, about three bucks, uh, to help support the show. In addition to that, you can also join at a couple of different tier levels, and you'll get some really cool benefits if you do that for slightly more money. And uh, at the end of the day, what you're really doing is uh, helping to support the show. So we thank you for that. Patreon.com slash Jay Sheldon is where you will find us. 
Uh, check out also, of course, our podcast. If you want to listen to us on the run, we're on all the platforms as an audio podcast. It goes up about a half hour or so after the live streams end. All of our episodes are there from the very first one up to today, which is 113. How about that? Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, so check that out. And of course, <laughs> I have to laugh when I say it because we're still trying, but rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants is where you'll find all of our recorded video episodes. You'll find this one in about an hour from now. Uh, and one of these days, you may actually see us live. Sadly, apparently, today ain't that day, much as we tried. We really did try. Um, for whatever reason, it just ain't working. So we're going to give up. All right, and we're going to move on. We're going to move on into our book. We read these books. They come to us courtesy of the great folks at the Gutenberg Project, gutenberg.org, where you will find free public domain books, all the classics, hundreds and hundreds of books in all different formats, Word doc, HTML files, eBooks. They're all there, gutenberg.org. It's free. You can make a donation if you want. And if you're if you're able, please do, because they do an amazing job at the uh, the Gutenberg Project. So we have read uh, classic books from the, almost the very beginning of our history here on I'm Not Wearing Pants stream. And uh, we've done Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, The Velveteen Rabbit. Right now, we're about a third of the way through H.G. Wells' original War of the Worlds. It was first published back in uh, 1897 as a magazine serial and uh, first published in hardcore book format a year later in uh, 1898. Long time ago, so we have been doing uh, chapters in that book and right now we are on chapter nine. The fighting begins. Saturday lives in my memory is a day of suspense. Is was a day of lassitude, too, hot and close, with, I'm told, a rapidly fluctuating barometer. I had slept but little, though my wife had succeeded in sleeping, and I rose early. I went into my garden before breakfast and stood listening, but toward the common there was nothing stirring but a lark. The milkman came as usual. I heard the rattle of his chariot, and I went round to the side gate to ask the latest news. He told me that during the night the Martians had been surrounded by troops and that guns were expected. Then a familiar, reassuring note. I heard a train running towards walking. They aren't to be killed, said the milkman if that can possibly be avoided. I saw my neighbor gardening, chatted with him for a time, and then strolled in to breakfast. It was a most unexceptional morning. My neighbor was of the opinion that the troops would be able to capture or destroy the Martians during the day. It's a pity they make themselves so unapproachable, he said. It would be curious to know how they live on another planet. We might learn a thing or two. 
He came up to the fence and extended a handful of strawberries, for his garden was as generous as it was enthusiastic. At the same time, he told me of the burning of the pine woods about the Byfleet golf links. They say, he said, that there's another of those blessed things fallen there, number two. But one's enough, surely. This lot'll cost the insurance people a pretty penny before everything is settled. He laughed with an air of the great good humor as he said this. The woods, he said, were still burning, and he pointed out a haze of smoke to me. They'll be hot underfoot for days on account of the thick soil of pine needles and turf, he said, and then he grew serious over poor Ogilvy. After breakfast, instead of working, I decided to walk down toward the common. Under the railway bridge, I found a group of soldiers, sappers, I think, men in small round caps, dirty red jackets unbuttoned and showing their blue shirts, dark trousers and boots coming to the calf. They told me no one was allowed over the canal, and looking along the road toward the bridge, I saw one of the cardigan men standing sentinel there. I talked with these soldiers for a time. I told them of my sight of the Martians on the previous evening. None of them had seen the Martians, and they had but the vaguest ideas of them, so they plied me with questions. They said they didn't know who had authorized the movement of the troops. Their idea was that a dispute had arisen at the horse guards. The ordinary sapper is a great deal better educated than the common soldier, and they discussed the peculiar conditions of the possible fight with some acuteness. I described the heat ray to them, and they began to argue among themselves. Crawl up and under cover and rush em, say I, said one. Get out, said another. What's cover against this ire eat? Sticks to cook you. What have we got to do is go as near as the ground to let us, and then drive a trench. Blow your trenches. You always want trenches. You ought to have been born a rabbit, Sippy. Ain't they got any necks, then? said a third abruptly, a little contemplative dark man smoking a pipe. I repeated my description. Octopuses, he said. That's what I calls them. Talk about fishers of men, fighters of fish. It is this time. It ain't no murder killing beasts like that, said the first speaker. Why not shell the darn things strife off and finish them, said the little dark man. You can tell what they might do. Where's your shells, said the first speaker. There ain't no time. Do it in a rush. That's my tip. And do it all at once. And so they discussed it. After a while, I left them and went on to the railway station as to get my morning papers. But I will not weary the reader with the description of that long morning and the longer afternoon. I did not succeed in getting a glimpse of the commons, for even Horsell and Chobham church towers were in the hands of the military authorities. The soldiers I addressed didn't know anything. The officers were mysterious as well as busy. I found people in the town quite secure again in the presence of the military, and I heard for the first time from Marshall, the tobacconist, 
that his son was among the dead on the common. The soldiers had made the people on the outskirts of Horsel lock up and leave their houses. I got back to lunch about two, very tired, for, as I have said, the day was extremely hot and dull. And in order to refresh myself, I took a cold bath in the afternoon. About half-past four, I went up to the railway station to get an evening paper, for the morning papers had contained only very inaccurate descriptions of the killing of Stent, Henderson, Ogilvy, and the others. But there was little I didn't know. The Martians did not show an inch of themselves. They seemed busy in their pit. There was a sound of hammering and an almost continuous stream of smoke. Apparently, they were busy getting ready for a struggle. Fresh attempts had been made to signal, but without success, was the stereotyped formula of the papers. A sapper told me it was done by a man in a ditch with a flag on a long pole. The Martians took as much notice of such advances as we would of a lowering of a cow. I must confess, the sight of all this armament, all this preparation greatly excites me. My imagination became belligerent and defeated the invaders in a dozen striking ways. Something of my schoolboy dreams of battle and heroism came back. It hardly seemed a fair fight to me at that time. They seemed very helpless in that pit of theirs. About three o'clock, there began the thud of a gun at measured intervals, at Chertsey and Adelstone. I learned that the smoldering pine wood into which the second cylinder had fallen was being shelled in the hopes of destroying the object before it opened. It was only about five, however, and a field gun reached Chobham for use against the first body of Martians. About six in the evening, as I sat at tea with my wife in the summer house, talking vigorously about the battle that was lowering upon us, I heard a muffled detonation from the common, and immediately after a gust of firing. Close on the heels of that came a violent, rattling crash, quite close to us, that shook the ground, and starting out upon the lawn, I saw the tops of the trees about the Oriental College burst into smoky red flame, and the tower of the little church beside it slide down into ruin. The pinnacle of the mosque had vanished, and the roof line of the college itself looked as if a hundred-ton gun had been to work upon it. One of our chimneys cracked as if a shot had hit it, flew, and a piece of it came clattering down the tiles and made a heap of broken red fragments upon the flower bed by my study window. I and my wife stood amazed. Then I realized that the crest of Maybury Hill must be within range of the Martian's heat ray now. The college was cleared out of the way. At that, I gripped my wife's arm and without ceremony ran her out onto the road I fetched out the servant, telling her I would go upstairs myself for the box she was clamoring for. We can't possibly stay here, I said, and as I spoke, the firing reopened for a moment upon the common. But where are we to go, said my wife in terror. I thought, perplexed, 
Then I remembered her cousins at Leatherhead. Leatherhead, I shouted above the sudden noise. She looked away from me downhill. The people were coming out of their houses, astonished. How are we to get to Leatherhead, she said. Down the hill I saw a bevy of hussars ride under the railway bridge. Three galloped through the open gates of the Oriental College. Two others dismounted and began running from house to house. The sun shining through the smoke that drove up from the tops of the trees seemed blood red and threw an unfamiliar lurid light upon everything. Stop here, said I. You're safe here. And I started off at once for the spotted dog, for I knew the landlord had a horse and a dog cart. I ran, for I perceived that in a moment everything upon this side of the hill would be moving. I found him in his bar, quite unaware of what was going on behind his house. A man stood with his back to me, talking to him. I must have a pound, said the landlord, and I've no one to drive it. I'll give you two, said I, over the stranger's shoulders. What for? And I'll bring it back by midnight, I said. Lord, said the landlord, what's the hurry? I'm selling my bit of a pig. Two pounds and you'll bring it back. What's going on now? I explained hastily that I had to leave my home and so secured the dog cart. At the time, it didn't seem to me nearly so urgent that the landlord should leave his. I took care to have the cart there and then drove it off down the road and leaving it in charge of my wife and servant, rushed into my house and packed a few valuables, such plate as we had and so forth. The beech trees below the house were burning while I did this, and the palings up the road glowed red. When I was occupied in this way, one of the dismounted hussars came running up. He was going from house to house, warning people to leave. He was going on as I came out of my front door, lugging my treasures done up in a tablecloth. I shouted after him, What news? He turned, stared, bawled something about crawling out in a thing like a dish cover, and ran to the gate of the house at the crest. A sudden whirl of black smoke driving across the road hit him for a moment. I ran to my neighbor's door and rapped to satisfy myself of what I already knew that his wife had gone to London with him and locked up their house. I went in again, according to my promise, to get my servant's box, lugged it out, clapped it beside her of the tail of the dog cart, and then caught the reins and jumped into the driver's seat beside my wife. In another moment, we were clear of the smoke and noise and spanking down the opposite slopes of Maybury Hill toward Old Walking. In front, it was a quiet, sunny landscape, a wheat field ahead on either side of the road, and the Maybury Inn with its swinging sign. I saw the doctor's cart ahead of me. At the bottom of the hill, I turned my head to look at the hillside I was leaving. Thick streamers of black smoke shot with threads of red fire, driving up into the still air and throwing dark shadows upon the green treetops eastward. The smoke already extended far away to the east and west, to the Byfleet pine woods eastward, and to walking on the west. 
The road was dotted with people running toward us, and very faint now, but very distinct through the hot, quiet air. One heard the whir of a machine gun that was presently stilled, and an intermittent crackling of rifles. Apparently, the Martians were setting fire to everything within the range of their heat ray. Now, I'm not an expert driver, and I had immediately to turn my attention to the horse. When I looked back again, the second hill had hidden the black smoke. I slashed the horse with the whip and gave him a loose rein until walking and send lay between us and that quivering tumult. I overtook and passed the doctor between walking and send. That's chapter nine. Next time on Wednesday night, we'll do chapter 10, which is called In the Storm. Wow. H.G. Wells, The War of the Worlds. Cool beans. All right, folks. Thanks so much for joining me. I will see you again on uh, Wednesday night, 10 o'clock. May or may not be live on Rumble. I don't know. We'll figure it out if we can. Uh, thanks for joining thank you for listening on the podcast thanks for your downloads patreon.com slash jay sheldon to support the show and uh, we'll see you wednesday night in the meantime i'm jay sheldon mondays suck and i'm not wearing pants good night